Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales. This week's podcast is sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality livestock nutrition. Continuing with our modern livestock operations series, we are heading north to Scotland to speak with well-known farmer and breeder John Scott from Fern Farm. Welcome, John. Andy, how are you? Great, thanks. Great to have you on the show there. And, uh, John, Fern Farm is situated on the Tarbert Peninsula in Easter Ross, and it's been in your family for four generations. Where did they come from originally? Yeah, it would have come from the borders originally, Andy. Moved up here, probably came up here with sheep um, way back. Uh, but yeah, I'm fourth generation. Uh, as you say, the farm's situated at the base of the Tarbert Peninsula. It's quite a nice spot, actually, quite a, a nice climate. Um, and, and we're lucky we can, we can do a variety of things with, with the base farm at Fern. Um, uh, here with uh, spring barley, cheap cattle, uh, a mixture of enterprises. Uh-huh. And uh, although it's you and Fiona that run the farm now, your father James is still involved in the business as well, I think? Yeah, the business is set up. The main business, Jay Scott and Farmers, there's four partners, um, myself and Fiona and mum and dad. Uh, then Fiona and I have a, a separate business, Scott Farming Company, uh, which finishes a few cattle. And uh, yeah, dad's still out on a daily basis, keeping us right. Uh, he's still fit and active. It's great to have him with us and, and doing as much as he does. Um, he's got such a knowledge and I think it's really important that we, we've got to tap into that corporate knowledge that we have in our older generation and um, it's an important part of well-being being out there and being part of, of what we do. So um, yeah, great to have him involved. And a gentleman he is too. And uh, you're up to around about 500 hectares owned now, John, another 250 rented in, in old money, sort of farming over 1,800 acres uh, mainly on that good land there in Easter Ross. R- runs out towards the sea there as well, doesn't it? Well, we don't quite get to the sea ourselves, um, but you know, we're not far off it. We're just a couple of miles from the coast there. So, yeah, everything happens at Base Camp. Base Camp in Fern is pretty busy through the winter, and we've got various other smaller units rented, or we've got one that we contract farm. No more than ten miles away from the base camp, sure. Um, so it's all fairly accessible. We probably spend more on on diesel and wear and tear on vehicles than I would like to go back and forth between these units. And in an ideal world, they'd all be in one spot and, and connected, but they're not. And, and we make the best of it. And yeah, a variety of units gives us a strength as well. And that sometimes there's grass on some of those units when there isn't as much here. But we ask a lot of this this home farm for the winter. It, it carries all the stock in the winter. Um, various different feeding systems but this time of year um, middle of May we're just desperate to get things away so we can shut grass off for silage. Sure and uh, and you talk about the livestock you run 100 pedigree short on cows we'll go into a bit more detail on those in a minute and a herd of suckler cows 750 pedigree ewes 2500 crossbred ewes it's a it's quite a big setup isn't it? Yeah no there's a bit going on it takes a bit of juggling there's a few different income streams there which which take a little bit of managing and um yeah, but we've got a good team here, and we, we work away um, fairly well. And um, we don't always get it all right by any means. We we um, we don't have it all right at, at at the same time there. But we've yeah, we work away, make a decent living. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you still expanding, John, or is that you now? Really good question. <laughs> I, I think um, yeah, following lamy and calving is a really good chance to just look at what we're doing and do we keep expanding or do we just consolidate and actually try and do even more with what we've got and maybe take our product a little bit further down the line. I'm 47, I've got a, my knee starting to give me a little bit of jip. I can't keep chasing sheep just as much as I as I did. I think in terms of growing the business, um, if we had the right opportunities and we have enough good quality staff, yes, we can continue to grow the business um, in terms of livestock numbers, but um, I think we'll look at every opportunity in its own light and maybe a farm shop and maybe 
um, collaborating with others on that is, is the way to go. Uh-huh. Sounds a, a new uh, avenue for you. John, last time we spoke, you had a farm up in Sutherland a long way away, and you had ling cows running on land down to the beach there. I don't think you, you run that anymore, do you? We don't run it anymore. It's a it's a cracking farm, but basically between the, the sea and a wee bit of rough ground, then railway line, then a nice bit of farmland, and then the main road and the hill. And we didn't really use the hill very much, but we took on that farm probably back in 2012, 13, I think. And um, basically, we didn't have any single farm payment. It wasn't a huge rent, but we were trying to make it work without payment. Um, and with a, a part-time member of staff up there, and we established a herd of lean cows there. And we had up to one stage up to about 12, 1300 ewes. The chap we had working there was a good guy, but he was growing his own business at the same time. Um, and it eventually became unsustainable with us resourcing it from here. I mean, it was a 40 minute drive, and um, it's a real shame it wasn't closer because it would have worked being closer to Fern, but it wasn't. Um, ideal environment for ling cows there down at the beach and on the dunes. Great place for wintering cattle, fantastic for wintering cattle. And very scenic too. I've but, seen the uh, pictures. We'll but, chat about the Linkos in a minute or two. And uh, although this is a livestock podcast, I briefly mention your cropping rotation as well. You run a lot of um, cereals, uh, mainly spring barley and uh, a lot of forage crops. And, and, and which distilleries do you supply for, for malting barley, John, so that I can get some? Well, yeah, <laughs> I'd prefer to say, Andy, that I'm probably mechanically challenged and maybe not, not quite, maybe it's a bit hard myself, but I'm not, my first love wouldn't be machinery, I like livestock, and uh, that is a genetic trait, by the look of things, James has definitely got that as well, he's not so good in the tractors, um, I could drive a tractor quite well, just put that out there for those that might be listening, um, in terms of the distilleries we supply, a lot of our barley goes to Highland Grain, or, or through Scott Grain to Baird's Malt, and Highland Grain, one of the main distilleries they would supply with their, or they supply the barley onto maltsters, and, and that would end up in Glenmorangie. We actually also worked a little bit with Glenmorangie. That's one of the farms we lease is their block at Tain there. So we've we've taken that on fairly recently, the last three or four years, and um, improved it a lot. So it's great to be working with with the brand that is Glenmorangie, Moe Hennessy, Louis Vuitton, um, which is fantastic. Um, they're a really good company to work with. And uh, ah, yeah, it gives you a bit of a, a spring in your step when you're working with a brand and a company like that producing um, high-quality product with our barley. Sure, gooding in contact with the end user of course is where the, a lot of the farming business is going and again we'll talk about how you've done some of that in some of your other operations and uh, am I right in thinking you own a runway John as well, what do you use that for? Well we, we bought a bit of land five years ago, a bit of the neighbouring farm and, and it, a runway came with it um, which sounds awful exciting but <laughs> uh, I've already said I'm mechanically challenged, I'm not even going to think about flying a plane it's an old uh, runway, for, a wartime runway and um, the main part of the runway is still not quite usable, but it's just a, a long bit of tar and concrete. And, and on the side runways, what we've done is we've um, well, we've gathered up all the bits and pieces and earth and sort of sand blowing things over the years, and we've made it a sort of outdoor um, feeding pad, a straw bedded pad, and we can handle about 400 cattle in there. And um, fairly recently built Silas bit as well and gone down the, the TMR route, which we've never done before. And total mixed rations, yes. It's now making winter an awful lot easier with this pad. We did hit minus 20 on it last year at one stage. It was the, you know, the, the water was off, obviously. We had to cart water to the cattle, but it didn't bother them. And, and they came through the winter really healthy on that system. Our wintering systems, we've, we've tried a few things the last couple of years. We've, we've tried fodder beet for um, and unfortunately, we've had um, some clostridial issues and a couple of losses there. So we've had to move away from that and back to this silage bit and a TMR ration. And we've just really simple these, this pad that's got a 
a big feed pass up the middle with a hot wire and we just drive up one side and back down the other and put the feed out three times a week and um, check them every day obviously and it's excellent, it's really really pleased with that. Sounds more like an American style uh, feedlot and we're talking to a couple of feedlot guys uh, um, in the next week or two but uh, yeah, certainly I can imagine having that tarmac up there in the winter would be would be very handy. Another good thing about the runway and, and this wintering system is that we have spring barley grown alongside the runway and the side runway so we've got stubbles with undersown with Italian that we can run the cattle back and forth onto it so if it gets really wet um, on the, the on the land we can we can bed all these runways and have them lie in a straw bed but most of the time they're just out on the, the uh, on these stubble fields and they come in for a bit of grub sounds ideal and John you sell beef and lamb boxes we'll talk about them in a minute and uh, you got a fledgling holiday let business there as well you're a busy man how do you fit it all in yeah we've got a, a good team here and of course boss lady Fiona um yeah she's very much in, involved and, and keeping me right and and running the holiday let side of the business and the beef and lamb boxes, which um, yeah, has grown year upon year. And actually, coronavirus has given us even more chance to, to grow that, um, the beef and lamb box side of things. And, John, you've developed the name Fern into a brand that signifies quality, haven't you? And it's, it's taken a lot of work, and you've embraced the power of social media to market this. And uh, you run a monthly newsletter, and you're often on the telly, and uh, there's all sorts of spurs to, to marketing that brand, isn't there? Yeah, we took the decision a few years ago now to try and develop a brand. We've got a logo made up we, we, we like, and, and it's just evolved from there. I think, um, you know, getting involved in this farming life was, was great fun at the time with the kids at the age they were at. Um, and, yeah, I'm really glad we did it. I think it, it gave us a chance to, to, to get our story over to the general public, and I think it, that probably gave us the impetus to go on further and, and continue communicating with the general public and, and everyone in the industry. So we do use social media a lot. Um, just recently got involved with a, a PR and marketing company to help us further and just just to let us become a little bit more professional about it and actually to refine what we're doing and just give us a bit of direction but to guide us uh, rather than actually do it for us. We don't want them to do it for us. We want guidance and, and training. So really the training aspect is the big thing with, with them. And it's been good. Yeah, it's been good. And it's a learning curve, isn't it, for all of us? And, and uh, yeah. John, I have to say, in the 20-odd years I've known you, you never seem to stand still very long. You're always sort of moving forward and moving with the times, and uh, uh, the Internet has grown your presence massively. And uh, you've had recently some online pedigree cattle sale, probably one of the first ones in the UK to do so. And, uh, again, we'll, we'll chat about that in a bit more detail. John, let's take a deeper look into some of these diverse livestock operations that you run, starting with the Shorthorn. Uh, why Shorthorn, John, and when? I think it was 1995, I would have been 21 at the time, keen to get a pedigree cattle breed, and our neighbours and distant relatives, the McGillivrays at Calrossi, um, so a world-renowned herd, were, were dispersing. Uh -huh. so we took a chance there and we bought some females. Um, I can remember the field, I went to see them in next to the main road there, just behind the trees, and I remember picking out um, Calrossi Diva Ruth, and there was also a, um, another cow, Calrossi Morel, um, and she came with a heifer calf at foot, and um, yeah, we got them. I was actually, I, I went travelling um, to New Zealand, and, and the sale was just after Fiona and I went off to New Zealand, um, and Dad and my sister went to the sale and um, bought these cows, and that was the start, really, and we've added, um, we brought in the Fairy Clipper line from uh, Glen Isla, um, and others from Dunsire. Really, that's been the foundation of the, the herd. We have put in genetics from New Zealand there, which were a mixture of New Zealand and Australian genetics probably 10 years ago now. 
um, and we brought in the Bonnies, the Isabels, Juliets, and Phyllis lines, um, and just moderate sized cows with, with good udders and, and, and good locomotion, just a, a, something a little bit different. Um, so that's where, where, so where it started and where we the next influx of, of genetics came from. But yeah, now bulling, well, I think there's 95 cows and 40 heifers to bull. So, uh -huh. um, uh, and what bulls have influenced the, the herd for you, John? Oh, there's been a few along the way. Uh, Dakota of Upsol, though he only worked for a season until he had a he damaged his vital organ, and we got semen off him, so, and he, he bred really well for us. Um, yes, yeah. Latterly, well, his son, Fern Godfather, Fern Elmer, a homebred bull um, by an Australian, uh, he's a grandson of an Australian bull. Further back, um, Dansire North Star bred Fern Wivis for us, which we sold to Major Gibb. Um, possibly one of the best bulls we bred here, I would say. And, and he, he, North Star also left some really good females for us, which we've done a lot of good. Always looking for those that next step and those new genetics. And quite excited, we had a couple of exciting bulls on the ground just now, which actually go back to older genetics. Um, so looking forward to, to them and, and their calves coming. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, back in '95, the breed would be very much out of fashion, and not long after you got in, it started to move, and then a few of the, the the big names in the pedigree industry started to get in there, and and uh, and the breed now is absolutely flying. John, did you foresee that, or you just get lucky by going into that breed? There's got to be an element of luck there. I remember at the start, and there was just a few breeders there. And I remember Donald Bigger, the late Donald Bigger, we do miss him. He came to buy heifers for his restocking program, I think it was. And he, he bought a bull fern Rory office, and he saw the next year's crops, and that had Scotsman and Seamus in it. And he, he said, Look, you've got to do something with these, these bulls and take them to, to Perth. So we did. And we took Scotsman and Seamus down to, to Perth. And, I got pissed with Bill and Jane Landers the night before, and I had no inkling that they were looking at the uh, Scotsman, and they paid 11000 for them, and you, you dressed them. I dressed um, him, that's right, I and, did. And I remember Seamus giving you a cheeky wee kick as you were dressing him as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, It was a bit of a, a buzz around the pen with you there, giving them a tidy up, and every came in and watching, you know, blow me, these bulls made 11000 and 5000 and them. Um, Eleven thousand our highest bull we've sold yet in Sterling, so um, that, was, that was great. And I think you averaged over 6,000 for that uh, pen of six bulls, John. And uh, yeah, your herd has gone on from strength to strength uh, ever since. So back to your question there about how we've been lucky. Yeah, there's no doubt um, we got in at the right time. Um, we've got a lot from the breed in terms of not just what it's doing for us uh, as, a, as an animal on the farm, but in terms of that network of people. And, and those people at the start, you know, they're so friendly and, and, and really so many of them were mentors there for me. So I suppose it's my turn now to try and mentor others and do it. We might be doing a podcast on the short ones in the autumn, John, so I'll maybe get you back on there to give us a chat. Um, I'm definitely keen to do that. So. Good, great. And and, uh, and you recently brought in the Ling, as we mentioned, and uh, for our overseas listener, the Ling is a short on bull on a Highland cow, originally developed on the West Coast by the Cadzo brothers, and uh, does that pull out the best from both breeds, John? Where do you see the Ling breed going to? Yeah, it's a cracking breed. We went into them because we felt we needed the, uh, a cow for that quite rugged environment up in Sutherland. And see that Ling breed there is that upland to high hill breed, and whereas the Sorton probably is upland and, and comes down the hill a little bit as well, down to Lowland. So it fits in well within the land we've got around here. Of course, you'll get you get animals and, and, and lines within both breeds that will do 
um, much more than that as well. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a, a composite breed bred um, developed in Isle of Ling by the the Cads brothers, as you say, and it's about 75% um, short term, 25% um, Highlander, and um, it's just a really tough, easy fleshing hill type cow. And um, yeah, I've always been impressed by the society and the way um, where they go about breeding cattle. Um, and it's been quite a functional approach. You know, they don't show uh, as much as I enjoy attending shows and, and judging at shows. It's they don't show, and that's not their thing. Um, but yeah, I find. I'm very fortunate to be involved in both breeds now, sitting in both councils um, at the moment, just recently there, and it's that's a great challenge and to, to help drive both breeds forward. Certainly, the the Ling breed is going forward, and we're starting to see some fairly big prices coming in for bulls over the last uh, five or six years, aren't we? And uh, yeah, I imagine there's a lot of new people coming into that breed. There is actually just now. It's very hard to get a Ling bull at the moment. At the current moment, there are not very many Ling bulls for sale because they sold so well at the society sale. And, and since then, subsequently, most bulls have been hoovered up privately. Good demand for females. A lot of people coming in, they're replacing higher maintenance cows, and the people are looking for an easier life. And yeah, those those cattle are certainly uh, ticking the box there. Ah. So it's, that's good to see. Great. I won't mention the higher maintenance cows that you're talking about, but I'd imagine they're making inroads into one or two of the more established uh, Scottish breeds. Look. We've all got our, our different types of cattle and, and sheep that we want to breed, and there's room for everyone. And I think there's, we've all got different systems. And I think I, I enjoy watching um, some of the more muscle breeds at shows and sales. They're not for my system, but I do enjoy watching them uh, and, and seeing what they can do and, and learning from them because we can all learn from each other. So, sure. yeah, that would be my comment on, on that. Sure. Okay. And as we mentioned, COVID has made a lot of us uh, change the way we do things. And so maybe it was a natural progression for you that uh, you held one of the first online bull sales, I think, earlier this year. And uh, is that something you're looking forward to continuing with? Did it go well? Um, our year bid sale for both rams in August and bulls in January went exceptionally well for us. Delighted. And it all came about through us. We were in New Zealand. Um, and November 19, and we were driving from Christchurch down to Twizel, and I saw, saw a cracking herd of Angus cows at the side of the road with some nice bulls, and I stopped to have a look and have a nose as you do, and um, a fellow called George Giddings, who was one of the the, um, the owners of the farm, came along and had a blether, and we just got blethering to him, and um, we kept in touch since then, and um, um, both ourselves and um, the McGowans at Inchirk uh, got in touch when COVID kicked in because they heard that they'd developed this online helmsman style um, Eurobid auction and it worked well for them. So um, ourselves and McGowan's both had a ram sale and it worked well. Um, Neil had some bulls at his as well and our ram average was up over £200 a head and then we thought, right, we're going to do it for the cattle as well. Uh, and we sold nine bulls and the average 5911 yeah. off farm um, and the heifers at 3-2, I think they were. Uh, and just it, it, it opened up the whole of the UK and Ireland for us, um, sure. which was just fantastic. A different way of doing things, um, auctioneers still in the mix and that we offer a commission for any buyers they bring, um, so we want to keep them in the mix as well, but for us, yeah, we moved on from the conventional auction as much as I like going to an auction, um, it's, it doesn't suit our system um, at the moment, delighted, absolutely delighted. One of our guests last week said that this thing has been underlying for a while and, and in the tractor and the car business, they all buy online now without travelling off to these sales and it was only a matter of time before this uh, this came along and as I said, you're one of the first in there and I'm sure that will stand you again in, in good stead in the pioneering role. I think the thing we've got to make sure we do is we, 
we, we find a way to get that human contact so, and, and ideally we would have a bit of a crowd of people here on the day and if you want to come you know come use the holiday house and um, create an event for that day because it's all very well selling things online but we have to make sure we find a way to to get that human contact with other people and other farmers because um, that's really important for well-being. We'll look at your top sale in a minute and obviously you do have a local trade for that but we'll go on. Let's just chat about the rest of the cattle on the farm. Last time I spoke you ran a hundred suckler cows. I think you've increased that now. You had a few short on cross cows and obviously with the pedigrees. What, what kind of numbers of cows are you running there now John? So over the years the, the short on cows the purebred cows have gradually replaced the crossbred cows, and actually we're now down to just around 20 crossbred cows, and, it's, and the, the shorthorns have taken their place, um, and, and the lings have come in now, so that ling herd is now sitting about 60 cows. So the stud cows have come in and, and edged the commercials out, just they've evolved really, and I suppose we treat our stud cows very commercially, so it's a similar sort of thing. And so where would you sell the calves then? You'll have purebred calves but still going to kill. Have you got regular customers uh, that they go to, John? So... We look after um, three herds locally. We've got our two herds, our ling herd and our shorter herd, and another ling herd we contract farm for somebody else. And all the surplus um, male calves and non-breeding um, non, non females are, are, are purchased by Scott Farmer and they are then finished on fern. We also buy in uh, probably another 100 native bred calves to finish on a, on a grass and homegrown cereals and forage-based system. Um, aiming to start selling those short-term cross steers at 18 months old off grass alone and then we just gradually we start to feed them after that and get them away. So have you got some regular customers John for your, for your beef outlets? Yes, for the last few years um, a lot of our short-term cross cattle have been going um, to Morrison's supermarket. We've got a really good working relationship with them. They work very closely with beef short-term beef um, and we've tried some links through there as well but this last previous year one of our very first guests to our holiday house was uh, Stevie Mitchell from Buffalo Farm. Stevie, of course, yeah, he, he, he was on the TV programme. Yeah, he's a he's another forward-thinking man I should probably get some time to talk to. And Oh, definitely, yeah, you should speak to him. He was on This Farming Life after us. I think it was Series 2 or 3. But, um, you know, we took him for a farm tour, and we walked into this, this field of finishing cattle, which was probably July time, and they're getting getting close to ready. He said, what are you doing with these? I said, well, yeah, we, we're selling them. I said, well, yeah, could we get a a regular supply so we've developed a, a, a relationship with him and we we send him cattle every couple of weeks during our finishing period and um yeah he's getting good reviews through his shop for them which is very good for us you know we want to get that positive feedback on our product and um, it's very satisfying that those short-term and ling um steers will eat really well so um yeah that's where they're going and then the, the smaller heifers the the sort of um lighter heifers that's what we put into our beef box that's what i um I enjoy eating a ribeye of one of those girls, just perfect. Yeah, we'll go on to the beef boxes in a second, but yeah, for yeah. all for all it's important, uh, the cattle side of your business would be fairly small part compared to the, the sheep operation at Fern. Uh, and you've got a number of pedigree flocks there, mainly producing purebred lambs for your own flock, I guess, and for your annual on-farm top sales. So how many, how, many, how many tops are you producing now, John? We're selling about 200 taps every year. We, we, we cull pretty hard, to be honest, um, on, on a, a range of breeds. We've got the, uh, the Texel, so again, they've been here. Oh, they were 21st birthday presents, so had them some time. And they're all performance recorded, as are our New Zealand Suffolks, which were um, we, we bought embryos from Robin Hume at Easy Rams. Um, some Veltexes, which we've had for, for a number of years as well. Um, James is definitely in charge of them now. And um, 
and Aberfields, which we've we've developed them um, with a Scottish uh, breeding farm for Innovis, um, and we've got the Aberfields there. So, uh, can you tell but, me a bit more about the Aberfields, John? That's something I'm not familiar with, and I don't suppose our listeners will be. Just what what? How does that feature as a breed? So Aberfield is a blue-faced Leicester Texel composite. Um, it's a maternal breed, ideal for crossing over cheviot, black-faced swale, um, hill use, and we also use it across some of our crossbred ewes in the low ground as well. And yeah, just a good maternal ewe, fairly uh, fertile, and um, we've got a lot of crossbred ewes lambing outside here now, doing the job, a pair of lambs up and away. So yeah, um, we tend to put a, a terminal on top of, of those crossbred ewes and um, hang the lambs up. It's aiming for that 20, 21 kilo deadweight lamb, and, and they're working really well for that job. And who who takes your, your deadweight lambs from you, John? Um, our lambs are mainly going to Morrison's again. It works well off the tariff. Yeah, we've worked with them for years now. When it, oh, years ago, it was, um, when it was Keepak. My first and only off-farm job was working for uh, Keepak, uh, procuring lambs. I did that for five years, lambs and cattle in the area. Uh, that was a really good learning curve, actually, dealing with, mm. with farmers and and viewing them as customers, and I suppose looking back on that now, that set me in good stead for for years to come and doing what we're doing now. And of course, uh, times have changed this year, and uh, you're running this uh, online, successful online uh, top sale. And do the buyers come and view the animals on the farm first, or or, uh, or do they just trust this uh, quality brand, this fern brand that uh, you've developed? So we must be about nine years into having our own sale. And normally what happens until this year was everybody came and uh, we had a barbecue, we had a beer, we had sponsors and we had a conventional sale through the ring. And we created an event, you know, we want to create that event. Um, and this year, obviously, we couldn't do that. So we went online with the Eurobit auction. We had allocated viewing days on the lead up to the sale. And people came with the tips in, they looked at them um, and then they, they bought from a distance. They bought from their, their offices, their, their phones, wherever they were in the country. Um, some people didn't come. We did videos of all the rams so that people could see them, and they just bought over the phone, um, and they just bought online. They had, I think, people understand now that our sheep will will do a couple of things. They'll become a lot of use, and they'll last a long time. But people were happy to put their hands in their pockets and and had confidence in our in our stock, and and that was just great for us. You know, we we're delighted that, that people feel that way about what we've been building over the years. Sure, and of course you have built yourself up to that, and uh, I suppose the proof in the pudding will be whether people come back uh, year on year to uh, an online sale, and uh, it looks like that might happen, and uh, you may be going in the right direction. Maybe this thing's going to grow, John. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a lot of mileage. We bought a ram from Inchuk I hadn't seen, and we bought him in the video, and now we talked to, to Neil, and, and with the European system, it lets me phone. Everybody that's registered for the sale, it lets me phone them, before the sale, and I can speak to them and ask them about about what they need, what their requirements are, and I can get an understanding of what their requirements are. And I can, and the best thing is just to be really honest with the rams. If if they're asking about ram number ten and he's maybe not um, the ideal one for them, I'll just tell them because that's the best way. I, and, and another key element is our is our vet inspection. Our vet inspects things two weeks before the sale, and she is brutal. She'll she'll pull really hard. Um, there's normally a couple of discussions sometimes heated, um, but uh, we've got to be tough, we've got to be hard on what gets presented for sale and make sure it's just the best. Yeah, with the commercials and, and the pedigrees, John, you're up near three and a half thousand users, uh, it must take a lot of management and uh, you must have a hell of a good team of staff behind you. Yeah, the staff is, is key to us, we've got some excellent people here, um, it, it is a challenge to find um, the right people for the sheep team, it, it's quite intense what we're up to here, and uh, it's, it is difficult, it's something 
uh, we need to look at, we need to continue training people from, from school age and, and get them in early after school or, or after college or university and get them into our system and get them into our way of doing things. Um, it's very difficult for us to bring someone in in their mid-20s and get, expect them to fit into how, how we work. So I think that's probably our biggest challenge going forward is finding the right people for our sheep team. Um, we've got some excellent guys on the Arable and tractor side of things um, and, and fencing as well. We've got Scotty doing the fencing, um, Jim and Hames from um, Arable and, and, and Arable and a bit of um, cattle. A, a really important member of our team, um, obviously with family as well, is Sarah in the office um, handling the admin. So all the things I'm not good at and, the, and <laughs> making sure the paperwork and the movements and all that side of things. Sarah's got that covered, Fiona's got the financial side covered. And yeah, we just work away and um, try and keep a, have a regular meeting and use the best advisors we could find. Um, we've got a very local college advisor and we're another guy, uh, Trevor Cook, comes over from you when he can, normally twice a year. And um, we normally have a couple of days with him twice a year. And he, he'd be a great advisor, but also a mentor for me, um, uh -huh. which is good. Yeah. And the one member of staff you haven't mentioned, or maybe not a permanent member, you must have one of the oldest ones in the country as well, in the in the shape of Jimmy, who's been bringing out your cattle for the last uh, oh, last few years. Someone, Jimmy, and of course Catherine. Um, Catherine is eighty, and she's been a shepherdess locally for a number of years, and she comes along and she always makes tablets. She comes and she can't help herself. She's always here at Lamington. And then, uh, yeah, you mentioned Jimmy there. Jimmy Lane, who is a is a legend. I think he's eighty next year. And he still breaks bulls. We need bulls broken. He's still doing that. Um, and such a depth of knowledge in mm. cattle, you just you just can't access that. So knowledge these guys have got is is tremendous. So uh, yeah, another great mentor in terms of the cattle side of us. Um, sure. Things for us. So, sure. Yeah. And and, and, and he, and he, he, he likes a he likes a party. He likes a party too. He's quite <laughs> Well, you send him my best when you're speaking to him. He's an able man and been there and done that, and as you say, a legend. Continue the commercial use for a minute. You'll allow a lot of use outside there. What breeds do you favour? What breeds suit your system, lambing outside? These Everfield cross use are pretty handy. They work away outside. Um, we've tried a Romney and a Highlander this year on top of them as well, which, although we don't breed here, I'm, I've been quite impressed with the plants to date. So we'll see how that goes. Tex or Suffolk in the mix. I like a Suffolk Tex and it a little bit. And Texel in the in the stuff, um, but it's it's New Zealand style stuff, so they're they the ground running type of thing. They're they're fairly sprightly. They wouldn't maybe have the same confirmation as some of the usual suffix, but um, you have more of them to sell. So um, you're, you're certainly not frightened to use a composite. I can see that, and there is a growing market for that side of the side of, in in the in the pedigree breed in the sheep industry, isn't it? Oh, definitely, and, and we can't forget the Beltes and, and the role they play, especially for that, um, you know, that spring lamb there. Um, the, the shape you've got there, it's fantastic. And going back to my start with Beltex, your fault, your your dad, your brother Nick's fault. Um, they're the guys that let let this keen loon at the side of the the sheep ring come and head, show Beltex the Highland Joe, and um, led me astray there. So it's their fault. Yeah, definitely their fault. <laughs> I remember that. I remember your first venture into them very well, John. And and you'll grow a lot of your own feeding, a lot of forage crops there, but you'll buy some feed in as well. Yeah, we grow a lot of our own forage crops. We fodder beet, sweats, um, kale, stubble turnips. Um, we grow mainly spring barley but um, for malting, but there is some kept for feed, obviously. Not everything will make malting good. And some, own, some of our own oats as well. We buy a little bit of feed in every year. Yeah, we buy some protein in. And 
that's about it. Uh, minerals, we don't buy an awful lot of grass, to be honest. We try and do it on farm if we can. We've thought about trying some peas for protein, but at the moment, UK produced dark grains, their main source of protein, which we add, add into the mixer wagon with the the clam silage and a bit of oats or, or, or barley depending on what we're feeding. And going on to, we mentioned the, the, the beef and lamb boxes marketed from home. I market lamb boxes here. Uh, the field to plate via the shortest route, that's that's something that's been very fashionable now. And isn't that something that a, that a few more folks should be trying to do, John, to sell direct to, to the end user? Or what are the pitfalls? I think you've got to make sure that your product consistently eats well. And I think I'm fortunate in the, the breeds I'm working with both the beef short run and ling, they do that. They, they, they tick that box time and time again. They've got that nice um, intramuscular fat. And we're getting some really good feedback from those that are buying beef boxes. Very simple. There's a 100-pound beef box or a 200-pound beef box. And I, we don't tend to deviate from that, and, and people like that. And, and they enjoy coming back for more, which is great. So working uh, closely with a good friend, Jock uh, Gibson, over in Macbeth and Forest, and he does the cutting and packing for us over there. Makes a great job. Yeah, watch this space. We are looking at developing that a little bit more and into something a bit more um, permanent. I think. Um, yeah, it certainly is a uh, is a great idea. And a hundred pound beef box, they'll trust you what they're going to get in that box. And uh, and as you said, when they've eaten it all, they come back for another one. Those are the guys you need. And a direct business through the internet, it uh, cuts out a, a lot of middlemen, John. Yeah, it's not without its pitfalls. Um, you know, the beef suddenly all arrives, you've got to keep it in the fridge and then distribute it to people and people come in and picking it up and, um, you know, people asking questions about, you know, what they can have in the box. Well, it's simple. You've got a mixture of everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I would inc- definitely encourage others to look at it, uh, at it and, and tell the story. People want the story behind the beef and how it's being produced. Sure. So that's, that's what they're after. And that's where the added trade can go on. Moving on to yourself, John, you were a Nuffield scholar. In fact, you picked up that scholarship the year that I applied, and uh, and you got it. So tell tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, Nuffield and and what it does, and where where did that lead for you? No, I was just delighted to get a, a Nuffield scholarship in two two thousand and four or five. It was, um, and I didn't realise you you've been forward for that. I don't know what they were thinking about that year, Andy, giving it to me and maybe for you. But um, I applied applied and did. Um, health planning and disease prevention was what I was looking at. And, and Nuffield gives you the opportunity to go and travel the world, find out about a subject that, that you're interested in, which I was, and to go and challenge yourself. Being away from home for a period of time, um, at that stage, I went away in the oh, late March, just as Lambing was in mid-flow at that time, to over to Europe, and we had a, a briefing session for 10 days with all the scholars from all around the world, which is brilliant, a real eye-opener, some very able people. And then I, later on in the year, I went off... Um, um, early October, back middle of November, I went off to um, Australia, New Zealand, and America, and that was that really developed me in terms of um, putting my me out with my comfort zone, um, away from home. Fiona with two young kids, James and Izzy were on the go at that stage. It was difficult mentally. I found that quite a challenge, but at the same time, exhilarating in that you met so many able people, and I came back with ideas, and it was the growth in my mind, and and and. That's been a big benefit, um, and I think, despite the topic, I think the topic sort of almost to one side. It's what it does in terms of developing people, and it took me from a, a fairly able, hands-on farmer who'd been away and done an HND in Edinburgh, but socialised probably more than I should have done and didn't learn very much. And it, it opened my mind to the world, and, and yeah, a fantastic experience. And I've got that network there now, and you have it for life, and and you regular catch-ups with other Nuffields and. 
which yeah, a really brilliant experience for me. Certainly is an excellent. I would, I excellent would encourage idea. anyone that's and busy people do nothing, so never have the excuse that you're 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 too busy to do nothing. I would encourage anybody that wants to go away and challenge themselves and grow themselves to have a look at a Nuffield and, and see if they can get one. And, and if you get knocked back first time, you go again. I, I couldn't go again. I was too old. It was my very last year before I became too ancient. to. to... I didn't like to say I, I, I knew you must have been pushing the boundary pretty, pretty much there. <laughs> And and John, you, you, more recently you were involved with a company called QMS for a while, Quality Meet Scotland, for our listeners who don't know what that is, and another yep. interesting organisation. Tell us a bit about what they do, John. So it's a similar to HDB, south of the border, um, the, the, the levy boards are all of our, our cattle and sheep um, and pigs that get, get sold in the country. Um, there's a levy goes into uh, Quality Meet Scotland. Uh, they, they're a farm assurance, so they, they make sure the standards are up to scratch, and they also... Um, do a lot of marketing, promotion, and industry development. And yet, sat on that board there for eight years. Um, again, it was I really enjoyed being on the board, and we did some really innovative stuff whilst I was there. I felt, and uh, yeah, it was sad to to stop that, but uh, all these things come to an end. And um, yeah, it was good. When I went on, I learned a lot from some of the older guys on there. And 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 the certainly by the time I left, I I felt I'd done my bit, um, and actually added quite a lot. So. Um, you know, it's 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 difficult for QMS. It's not an easy job. Um, uh, what they do, but yeah, yeah, mm. like to be involved again at some stage, maybe in the future. Who knows? Uh, and you mentioned the late Donald Bigger, and of course he was very much involved in that organisation too. And John, you won the Sheep Farmer of the Year in 2014, and of course then you mentioned you were the first on the first series of this Farming Life, which which came over really well. And uh, good contacts you'll have made in there. But did yourself proud on that one. We were filming for this farm life when we went to London for the the Farmers Weekly Award ceremony. For, for for the listeners that are listening there, you know what I mean in terms of it's a fairly big night. Um, mm. and and the press was on with a camera in your face when you when they're announcing sheep family. Really didn't want to, wanted to not uh, to not win it because my reaction might not have been um, so good because I did have a camera on me when we were at the Highland Show when um Kerry Coombs was judging and we had this big bull Dakota and he was looking well and Jimmy's not a very big guy he was showing him. And the bull was going like a train. He won the senior bull class, and I thought, yeah, we're on here. This is this is this is on, and, and we didn't go any further on it. And my reaction—that's the only thing in this family life that um, we had to film for a second time, because um, my first reaction wasn't very good. <laughs> I'm maybe uh, too competitive, Andy, for the for the show ring. And maybe show, I am quite competitive, but maybe a bit too competitive at times. But yeah. I think a lot of people like the apparent honesty of, of that programme where you do get it warts and all, but yes, I can imagine they'd have to edit out the swearing, John, they would to me too. Just a couple of adjectives now and again, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, you sit on a few other committees, you mentioned the, the, the short ones and the lings, I think, and uh, what else are you involved in? Oh, one of the main other committees I've been involved in just now is um, the local rugby club, Rossland Rugby Club, which has got one-sixth of the catchment area of, of Scotland. It's a, um, a big area, um, all focused down into a town in Inver- called Invergordon, and we've been extending the club lately, so that's been a, a real big push-on for us for, for to get money in to finish that off. Um, a big challenge, great little club. Um, I've been there since I was 16, started training there and held various roles, captain, now president at the moment, and um, yeah, the boys are involved. It's a good family club, a rural family club is what you describe it as, and 
yeah, we get a lot from it. Um, uh, so looking forward to having that clubhouse finished and enjoying a pint watching the games. <laughs> I'll come up and join you for one of those one of the days, I promise. <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome. But yeah, there's that. There's um, yeah, I'm involved in a, in a project just now looking at well-being and how we can improve well-being of Scottish um, those working in the industry and our Scottish farming industry. So yeah, hopefully some big news in that coming later in the summer. So uh, fingers crossed on that one. Good. Yeah, that'll be. Good. And, and and as we said, you're a family business and your wife Fiona runs the financial side of it and she runs the holiday lets and diversity can be a key to family farms, can't can't it? I mean yeah, you've obviously put an investment into the holiday let. How long before you see that investment coming back, John, or shouldn't I ask? Yeah, probably don't ask. Especially not for bank managers listening. I suspect that it'll be um yeah, it'll be some time, especially if, if COVID keeps stepping the job up. But we opened that last April. Well, tried to open it last April. Um just as COVID of course, we didn't have any record of trading as a holiday business, so we weren't able to get tap into any of the, the support, which is quite frustrating. It's going to take some time to pay it off. And um, There was an old mill on the site. It was fairly derelict. We wanted to do something with it, and we've added value to the farm and to the wider area. Um, I think um, that's something Fiona's working very hard on. She's involved in the the, the local um, Tainan District Peninsula. Um, there's a trust there looking at um, how to bring more people to this area and, and, and actually let them enjoy what we've got because it's fantastic. We sit just on the edge of the North Coast 500 there and um, it's, a, it's a great base to come and do many different things from from golfing to shooting in the winter to the beaches we've got. There's, there's lots to come and, come and see and uh, who knows, you might even get a farm tour as well if you're lucky. <laughs> That was that was a, a broadcast on behalf of the local tourist board. Well done, John. Uh, I'm sure Fiona asked you to drop that one in. And I run a holiday home myself as well. And uh, I know that this year, hopefully, there's more people are being encouraged to holiday in Scotland rather than out with the country. So so let's hope you get that one uh, back up and running fairly soon. And um, your father, James, still works on the farm, as we said. But your your kids are involved now, uh, John. They've taken quite a front role, haven't they? Yeah, no, especially in the last year or so. Um, oldest two really getting involved. James um very keen on his livestock, as I mentioned earlier, he's not so much on the machinery side of things, but um keen on his stock, sheep, cattle, uh, quite a good shearer now. He's away shearing end of the month, lets him off for the summer with a local crew and then Izzy's um yeah, planning uh, going off to do rural business management. James is in Edinburgh, I think she's either gonna go to Edinburgh or maybe down to Harper. So she's we've got a couple of road trips to go and find out what she wants to where she wants to go. Um and then Lexi's still at school doing exams, and Archie's a wee bit younger, and he's he's a bit more tractor-minded, so we might have even bred a diesel head, which is um, which is um, quite quite chuffed with that. So we'll be able to see the, the younger two aren't aren't sure what they're going to do yet, but the older two certainly looking like um, following a career in the industry, which is just fantastic. Because you know, as much as we we say, oh, it doesn't matter what our kids do and uh, whatever they do, you know, if you get four kids, you want at least one of them to be hopefully involved in the business going forward and. And, and I've had a glimpse this last wee while of, of what it might look like with the two of them when the oldest two certainly working um, side by side with us and the, and the team over the, the lambing busy period of calving and uh, yeah, it's a wee glimpse of maybe being able to take the foot off the gas a little bit and hopefully let them um, run with the ball for a while. You spend your time fishing, John. Good for you. I hope you get that. But uh, as you said, you're building up a a, a legacy uh, on, in the farm, and it's nice to see that that's uh, there's somebody coming there to pick up the reins uh, further down the line. And John, you you judge a lot of shows as well. And how do you see the the show job? Do you see that getting back to normal any soon? Can can we mention this year's Highland Show maybe? Yeah, and this year's Highland Show will be a little bit different. But fair play to the Royal Highland Society for actually trying to get something on because it's really important that we get out there and. 
and socialise with other farmers and, and actually meet people. And I think, will things get back to normal? Let's hope that the showing um, circuit does, maybe not this year, but um, next year get back to normal. Because we do need it. We need that, that social contact and we need that, that um, it, you know, it's not my thing. We don't do a lot of showing, but it's a great way of actually showcasing our industry and showing um, how professional our stock men and women are and, and, and letting them get out there with an, their animals. And, Oh, we all want a pint of the Highland Show again, don't we? We want to just be there and get the craft in. And, uh, John, outside your holiday home, I know you've got a few uh, uh, um, a rare breed sheep there, and uh, I think you've got a few Hebrideans, if they're still there, and they haven't gone jumped the fence and gone running off back to the Hebrides like mine used to. No, they're still there. We've got nine Hebrideans, and we've got some Highland cattle as well. The nine Hebrideans were bought for, for training dogs as hogs, and we kept them, and, and actually got a tap eventually. And, and this is their second year lambs, and this year, there was 14 lambs scanned, and there's 14 lambs at foot. Hmm. So, and we haven't touched them, and they just get on with it. And they are great crack. They um, they run and play those little lambs, and we're planning building a wee seesaw for them so they can get a, get a bit of crack on that. And I tell you, when you're when you're feeling a bit low or a bit flat about the world, and you just go out and watch them for a while, they fairly lift the spirits. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you got some good fences because I used to watch mine disappear across other people's fields until eventually I sold them all and bought the boys a couple of push bikes. But <laughs> moving on, in a in a week or two, I'm going to be chatting to some American uh, beef producers uh, on a more serious note. John, how do you see that uh, the, the U.S. market affecting the U.K. producers? Will the fears that they're going to flood the U.K. with cheap and poorer quality beef? Exports is that is that real or just scaremongering? Oh, it is a worry, Andy. Um, there's there's not much I personally can do about it. I'd like to think our, our government would have the balls to actually not let that happen. I think in terms of what we're doing um, at Fern, we want to we're probably a slightly different market, um, and we want to keep going with that high quality, high end stuff um, to discern consumers who actually care about where their beef comes from and the story behind it rather than just bringing something from the other side of the world so yeah i hope as time goes on our, our consumers ask more about how how their beef is produced and, and you know, we've got some of the, the best welfare and standards in the world um so you know, we just shout about that and do, do your your consumers question nowadays the sustainability of it all i mean that's all very a, a big word these days yeah they want to know where their beef comes from and how it's produced and and that it's been done in, in the right way. Um, so we, we do that. I mean, our cattle are, are farmed here and, and a lot of the time are on, on rougher pasture, um, and they turn that rougher pasture into protein, and they do it in a fairly sensitive way. Um, we do a lot in terms of environmental stuff here. We've done a lot of hedge planting, pond creation, water margins, etc. cetera, uh, species-rich grassland. We do a lot of that, um, and we're seeing a difference. We've got good um, biodiversity in the farm, um, always looking to improve it, and with the nest boxes up and all sorts. So, yeah, it's just part of the picture. It's just part of what we do. And we don't do that just to sell beef. We do that because we know that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And uh, I, I think more and more farmers, that's that's, that's an approach they're taking. Certainly the next generation will take it even more seriously, I'm sure. And uh, we talked about sustainability and COVID and Brexit and Indie Ref too, and all these things have an influence on a business like yours, John. Do keep you awake at night or do you just take just roll with, roll with the punches? I focus on what I can control and influence. If I focus on those things and we do our job to the best of our ability and that's we as in our team, you know, we, we can run a fairly successful sustainable business by doing that. And we do, we've got a, okay, yeah, I can sit on various committees at, at different times and try and influence policy, but really there, there are pr plenty of things we can do at farm level to increase profitability. So we'll focus on those and um, hopefully policymakers will do their thing 
I don't get into politics too much. I'd rather talk about rugby, Andy, because that's much more interesting, especially with the Lions tour um, imminent, which is very exciting. Well, that's, a, that's a highly important question. Can we win the series in South Africa? My bet would be 2-1 to South Africa. John, there's another rugby coming up but further, the Rugby World Cup in Marseille, and I know you've got a date down here with me, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you before then, but we'll try and get down there and, uh, and get a few beers and, and do a bit of shouting for our teams. Yeah, and I'm definitely come back in 2023. That's going to be some some adventure. That is, I'm not going to be around for harvest that year. I've already told Jim, <laughs> who, who runs the Arable side of things, that I'm not going to be here. So, yes, no one else to drive the game. John, that's been brilliant to speak to you, and it's it's a, a busy and diverse operation you have there. I hope our listeners on uh, Top Lines and Tales will find that interesting. I will apologise. There's been a few technical issues with internet quality in some of this, but uh, John, great to speak to you. Uh, I know you're a busy man. You'll have things to get on and do. Um, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Andy. It's been great to catch up. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, which was kindly sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page, where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode.